Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we would ask and pray that you build your kingdom here, we thank you for the generosity that you pour out to make those works possible. We thank you for sending your Son to pave the way home. And Lord, we thank you for giving us the opportunity to stand in your presence once more and the generosity of your spirit that you pour out amongst your people. We would ask this day that you break your word small, fit for our consumption. In your name we pray this. Amen. As we enter into week five of the Red Letter Challenge, we are focusing on the theme, the idea of giving. But the reality for us is that giving is something that becomes a very uncomfortable conversation. We don't want to be put in a compromising position, and we don't want to do the same to anyone else. But yet we still want to be generous so that we might be a blessing. I had a friend in college, and I will never forget his story because I had ridden in the car that he had tried to give away. And this car had given him issues, and he had gotten it repaired, but he decided that it wasn't worth the headache anymore. And he thought, you know, I, I'm just, I want to be a blessing, and I want to give this car to somebody who's going to need it. And so I kid you not, he signs the title, leaves it in the front seat with the keys on top of it, and the doors unlocked and a neighborhood where he thought it might be taken advantage of. But he got a call three months later from the police department telling him that he needed to come pick up his abandoned vehicle because no one wanted the car. He said, I couldn't even give it away, and they wouldn't even try and steal it. We are uncomfortable with gifts. As we enter into this week and as this becomes our focus, we see that Jesus spends more time, more energy, more page space, right, for our eyes, talking about money and finances than he does about anything else in Scripture. He spends more time talking about giving and generosity more than he does about love, the kingdom of God, or anything else. And there's a reason why. He invites his followers into practice 
this radical giving, this way of living that makes no sense to the world around us, but it is part of who we are as followers of Jesus. The more that we read Scripture, the more that we see that it's impossible to be a stingy Christian. In other words, if we are truly following Jesus, then we are generous. And this doesn't always mean with our finances, but it means with the gifts that God has given us. Whether that be time, talent, or treasure. To truly follow Jesus means that we place our full trust in Him. That we place our confidence and our hope for provision in Him. but we desperately need wisdom when it comes to our finances. Statistically, 78% of people who are working full-time live paycheck to paycheck, with 71% of them being in debt today. And statistically, it's worth saying that the number one thing that couples will argue about within a marriage is, you want to guess? Money and financial management. It is something that weighs heavy on our minds and on our spirits. We were in the car one day, and my kids said, Dad, are we, are we rich? I said, well, you don't get into church work. You don't get into ministry for finance, but I am wealthier than any man on earth. And he said, well, I don't understand. Because regardless of what rests in your bank account or what you wish was there, the wealth that we have as followers of Christ comes from someplace else. comes from a contentment in the gifts that God has given us. But we rarely feel as though we can be content. And so giving becomes a struggle. How can we give away what we feel like we can't afford to lose? When I was in high school, I worked for a company where we would DJ parties and weddings and dances for schools and whatnot. And one night I had done a party or a wedding or something, and whoever was in charge had given me and my partner each a $100 tip. And I had gotten home real late that night, and I knew there was no chance I was going to get out of going to church. And for whatever reason, it had to be the 8 o'clock. And so I rolled out of bed and rolled into church, stumble in a few minutes after my family, and the only seats left are up in the balcony. 
and I'm trying my best to stay awake and just not let anyone else know how tired I am. And as the offering plate is going by, my mom nudges me and I reach in my pocket and I put in a $10 bill and about two people down, I realize in shock and despair that it wasn't a 10, it was the 100. And so I scramble over my brothers to make change in the offering plate. The one and only time, the first and last, that I ever did that. But it sticks with me. According to the statistics, the more that Americans make, the less they give away. And those that are in the highest stratus of income are often far less generous than those that are in the poor or middle class. And statistically, as Christians, we are not much better. See, by definition, money has no morality. It is amoral. It may be tangible, but it doesn't speak, think, feel, or act on its own. And so we hear so often that money is the root of all evil. But it's the love of money that is the root of all evil, and it is the greed behind it. The insatiable appetite where we are never satisfied with what God has provided. And for this reason, we don't like to talk about money in the church, it's uncomfortable. Because money is the number one idol in our lives. See, this is why Jesus spoke about money more than anything else, because money becomes our security and hope. In the Gospel of Luke, there's a story about this generous woman who has just lost her husband but still continues to lead a life of generosity. And so she comes into the temple to give her offering and she drops in two small copper coins. And Jesus turns to his disciple and he says, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these other people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. One of the most humbling experiences I have had as a pastor is getting a call from our treasurer in a different church that I was serving at the time. And she said, Pastor, there was a note in the plate, and I think that you need it. 
Okay, that sounds odd. And the note simply said, Pastor, I'm sorry that we couldn't give any more. This was all we had in our account. I hope it's enough. And as heartbreaking as the first two lines of that might have been, the last was what broke my heart the most. Because whether we are giving two small copper coins or a hundred million dollars, it will never be enough. It will never be enough to justify what God pours out for us. It will never be enough to buy our way into heaven. It will never be enough for us to bring God's kingdom come. You see, we live by grace, where we walk by faith and not by sight. And so when we go all in, it's very difficult to trust and pray and believe and just have this overwhelming confidence that when we are generous, that it's not going to go to waste. Because that's real easy to justify. Well, if I'm not going to give because I, I don't think that it's going to be used appropriately. But God doesn't have a money problem. God does not have a money problem, even though his people, his churches, his schools, his ministries do. Jesus tells us that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So we have a God of the great reversal. A God who takes everything that we think makes sense by man's ration and man's reasoning and he turns it upside down, showing us how much he is in control of the things that we are not. When my wife and I got married... We hadn't even graduated college yet. We had our last year of our college studies together, and we lived in this little apartment off campus that was right above a Chinese restaurant, right in front of a pizza place. If you don't believe me, you can ask Scott Hipsack. He checked it out this summer. And there were times where we had no idea how we were going to make ends meet, let alone pay the rent. And in those moments where we say, God, I don't know how this is going to work, and I guess we're just going to be hungry. All of a sudden, there'd be a knock on the door, and the guys from the pizza place would say, hey, we had some folks order these pizzas, but they never came to pick them up. Do you want these? Yes. 
How did you hear what I was just praying? Or when we go to apply for seminary and we know that we're going to have to put a down payment down and as poor college students living on babysitting money that she was making and money that I was making, working every odd job that I could find, realizing we would make a lot more money staying in Milwaukee where she could practice as a nurse without having to put down another down payment where we could stay where we were. So we said, God, if this is what you want us to do, show us the way that you would have us go. Are you sure that I'm supposed to be a pastor? There's other ways that I can serve, Lord. And about a week later, we got a letter from a woman in the congregation that I grew up in. And she said, we have this little house on our property. It's this carriage house, and we'd love for you to come live there while you're at seminary. So we looked it up online in this little 3,100-square-foot carriage house. that was 100-plus years old, beautiful courtyard. I said, well, with your permission, I need to call and see if we can afford the utilities. Would that be okay? And they said, no. Well, that might be a deal breaker. I I don't know that we can just move in blindly if we're going to get raked over the coals when it gets to be cold and we're seeing all the heat go right out the walls. And she said, we're going to take care of that. And he said, well, what can we do for you? Can we watch your kids? Can we cut your grass? No, we've got that squared away, they said. We want you to be well and be blessed and be a blessing to others. All right, Lord, I guess we're going to seminary. The only time that God ever says that we can test him is found in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. And he tells the people of Israel, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Think about that for a moment. Jesus tells his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew, in the 23rd chapter, he tells them to not neglect the tithe. And it's a really hard thing to face. And the odd thing is, if you look at just the numbers, it will never make sense. As the people of God, our generosity is often spread out across many 
different directions. So that's not to say stop giving the other places that you give and only give to the church, but rather to say understand that the way that you give and the reason why is more important than the what. That we're giving back to God what is already his to begin with. You see, we don't do ministry. God does ministry and he invites us as his people to come along and watch him work. And if you have any doubts in that, watch what happens when we are generous with what he has given us. Because God always gets the glory, now and forevermore. Amen.